Welcome to another episode of Generation Elect. It's been about a month since we've done our last episode, but we are back with plenty to talk about and plan to ramp up our coverage as election season starts to take shape. With the threat of COVID-19 impeding many situations, um, we'll talk about how the Biden versus Trump race looks from six months out and how Joe Biden can keep his lead in polling so far and win the presidency. We'll also discuss the latest in the Veep stakes, who Joe Biden's running mate will be, with one woman in particular leading the choice. The Senate is also in play in 2020, and we'll weigh whether we can flip it blue. Finally, we'll talk about coronavirus relief, hints of reopening in some red states, and the HEROES Act. Today we have a three-man team. Um, as always, we got my co-host here, Griffin Roeder. Griffin, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Henry? Good. How's quarantine treating you? I mean, quarantine is quarantine, but I've been holding up pretty well. Yep, it kind of feels like that movie Groundhog Day, just the same day, uh-huh. over and over. <laughs> also with us, of course, is Jack Newell. Jack, how are you? I'm good, Henry. I was glad to see some live sports get back a couple of re- weeks ago with some yeah. uh, Bundesliga. German soccer and... league. Yeah. German soccer league. Yep. Hopefully but, we'll get um... there eventually. <laughs> It's a crazy time, but we got something. So, yeah, um, we got a lot to talk about today. Uh, the first thing we're going to talk about is in the past few weeks, we've seen the first polls for the general election come out. And according to the Twitter account Political Polls, which gets its data from Redfield and Wilton pollsters, they have Biden up by 10 points in Wisconsin, Biden up by nine in Pennsylvania, Biden up by eight in Michigan, up by four in Arizona, up by two in Florida, and up, with, and up by two in North Carolina. These are incredibly encouraging numbers for someone who's not the incumbent. If they're assumed to be true, then this would win him the presidency. Uh, Griffin, how does Biden keep this lead? Well, I think what Biden really has to do is inspire a lot of enthusiasm amongst uh, not only the moderate wing of the Democratic Party, but also independents, some Republicans and progressives as well. I feel like the best course of action for Biden to take is a more populist tone Uh, focus heavily on economic issues and supporting the working class. And I think if he does that, he'll be able to keep or even grow his lead in polling. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, yeah, go on. Well, uh, just uh, Griffin brought up the importance of um, talking about the economy with Biden. I think that's a really good point because, you know, right now we're seeing around 15 percent unemployment. And that was in April. And that number is only going to rise And while this certainly isn't all Trump's fault, uh, there have been things he could have done to try to mitigate this crisis. But yet he still has around 50 percent approval rating, which is actually more than Obama and W. Bush at this time in their terms, who obviously both won a second term. So I think he really needs to Biden, that is, he really needs to pound on the economy and offer solutions as to why he can turn it around. Yeah, and I'm totally with you in that regard. I think Joe Biden's got to hammer down the message, I will bring you back. Like, we're in one of the greatest stock market crashes of all time, really. Unemployment's at a high. I think it was hovering around 15% at a point, which is drastic numbers. Biden's got to tell every voter explicitly that another four years of Donald Trump will result in more economic damage, and only Joe Biden can get the ship in the right direction and save the economy. You know why Bill Clinton won in 92. It's because he used the message, it's the economy, stupid, during the recession during H.W. Bush's term. Yeah. Joe Biden, yeah, Joe Biden has to make it clear that he can bring you back. He's got to put that slogan on hats and T-shirts. Like, it's a winning message. And, I mean, obviously, he served in the Obama administration, which pretty successfully managed the 2000 uh, 
eight recession and brought the country back to close to a state of normalcy. And I think he can talk about that too in his experience dealing with similar crises. Yeah, I mean, overall, he has experience in economic issues and Donald Trump has, you know, not given the Rust Belt any favors with, you know, the General Motors layoffs, right? And also like unemployment in those, um, you know, in those states. So, I mean, Griffin, the Rust Belt voted overwhelmingly red and we're talking about Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Ohio. Do you think Biden can get those states back in any sense? I think not all of them. I strongly doubt that Biden or any Democrat, for that matter, would win Indiana. But I feel like Ohio is a bit out of reach. The Republican Party did very well in elections in Ohio back in 2018 because Richard Cordray lost, Sherrod Brown won by a much smaller margin than expected, and down ballot Republicans generally did much better. So I think Ohio is a bit out of reach. But for the state of Pennsylvania and the state of Michigan, I think Biden is certainly uh, able to win those states, uh, especially especially Pennsylvania, considering how well results in 2018 were for the Democrats. I feel like Wisconsin is a bit of a wild card, but I would put Biden as the favorite in Wisconsin at the moment. However, it's still very important yeah. to focus on winning areas of the Rust Belt. He can't take that area for granted. And honestly, in Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania almost went to Hillary Clinton in 2016. It was very close. And Joe Biden's a much better candidate than Hillary Clinton, in my opinion. And overall, the suburbs, which are really prevalent in Pennsylvania, went uh, overwhelmingly to Democrats in the midterm elections. So I think right now, Biden has a control of the suburbs in Pennsylvania. I mean, Jack, where do you see him finishing in these regions? Do you see him winning those three critical states? Or? Yeah, I do. And I think all of this is somewhat dependent on his vice presidential choice. But I do. I think he's definitely more appealing than uh, Clinton uh, in terms of those kind of regions. And as we saw, I mean, Clinton did not do terribly poorly. I mean, obviously, she won the popular vote. So right. if Biden can just build on those regions that we mentioned which she was unable to do, that puts him in a really good position. No, I'm totally with you on that. And his message has to be focused on things that will cater to that area because that's where the election is going to be won and lost. Um, I mean, another big Biden thing that we have not covered on this podcast yet because we really haven't gotten to do a podcast in about a month, but the Tara Reid saga has come and gone over the past month. Um, Griffin, I'm curious to hear your perspective on this. Do you think this is something that's going to Tara Reid's allegation that Joe Biden inappropriately sex- sexually assaulted her uh, back in the 90s? Um, there's been a lot of accounts about this. It's there are a lot of conflicting details, but there's a lot of corrob- there's some corroborating evidence too. It's very much up in the air. Uh, Griffin, do you think this story will stick with the electorate, and do you presume it to be true? I mean, I've never heard you talk about this before, so curious what your opinion is. Yes. So I feel like Donald Trump is probably going to use this as an attack against Joe Biden. Not that Trump himself doesn't have multiple sexual assault. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. he he has multiple sexual assault allegations himself. The presumption of innocence. I was for Kavanaugh. I am for Biden. So I feel that while there is a possibility that um, Joe Biden sexually assaulted Tara Reid, Uh, Given that I have not found enough substantial evidence to prove that it did happen, I'm going to say for the time being that Joe Biden is innocent. I mean, my perspective on it is that, 
you know, the Me Too movement has taught us that all women deserve to be taken seriously in whatever claims they bring, bring up. And it shouldn't rely on, you know, which politicians you like, which politicians you don't like. We should give every politician the same due process. We should investigate their claims completely. I want to know all the answers on Tara Reid. I don't want her story to be completely shuttled off. But at the same time, there are a lot of contradicting details, whether it's Tara Reid praising Biden for the Violence Against Women Act in the past or, you know, changing when this happened and not providing, you know, a date or, you know, where it happens. It's very hazy and up in the air. And right now, if I had to bet, I'm a bit skeptical, but I do want to know all the answers. I mean, Jack, what's your what's your take on this? How does it affect the election? So, as you mentioned, uh, there's some pretty uh, as far as the credibility of the count, uh, you know, she praised Biden for the Violence Against Women Act. Um, she uh, notably embraced Russia numerous times, uh, quite publicly. Uh, and she, the details of her account are not very good. Uh, about a week ago, I believe, something around that, um, PBS released what I think has been the best reporting on the allegation so far, and they interviewed uh, 74 people with knowledge of Biden and former staffers, and pretty conclusively, they didn't find much evidence to support uh, her claim. And I don't really think this will ring true with the electorate because i mean you saw in 2016 um trump was literally caught on (laughs) the mic bragging about sexual assault and it didn't seem to affect him that much in the long term so i i don't think this will affect biden that much i i believe joe biden um there's one point that uh diane feinstein is one of my favorite senators made she kind of got in a bit of hot water uh, a couple weeks ago by saying you know where has she been all these years and that's kind of Mm -hmm. a taboo in the me too movement because in the kavanaugh um, you know, situation two years ago, which has a lot of parallels, of course. Um, people criticized, the left criticized people who, you know, were like, oh, where has Blasey Ford been all these years? But the difference between Kavanaugh and Biden is that when Blasey Ford stepped up, it was Kavanaugh's first venture into the public eye, first, yep. you know, being in the fame. And I think it's completely okay to ask that question when Biden has been in the public eye and been a household name for 30 years. So, like, and, yeah. And furthermore, been vetted. Uh, when he was a vice presidential candidate by Obama's staff. Indeed. Right. Yeah, I mean, Griffin, do you think Biden's giving the right response to this allegation? Yeah. Maybe doing better? Uh, Well, I think he mentioned how he said, all right, if you believe Tara Reid, then just don't vote for me. I don't really think that was the best way to put it. He should have just tried to dispel what Tara Reid said and defend himself. Um, But... Yeah, there there definitely will be those who believe in terror read no matter what. I've seen like some I, a lot of Bernie supporters especially I found are saying like Joe yeah. Biden is a rapist, but they aren't really uh looking into but, all the fine details. A very vocal minority. Yeah, a very vocal minority. I saw and, a funny article saying that you know it's like Apparently, Joe Biden's been telling people not to vote for him for, like, 35 years now. Like, even back in 1988, like, <laughs> someone would go up to him, like, in a campaign and be like, I don't agree with your economic plan and be like, don't vote for me then. So, like, but yeah, I mean, that's what he does. I think he's done that to some Green New Deal supporters over the years, um, over, over and, this campaign trail. But, yeah. And Griffin mentioned, you know, about his response. And I do agree that it could have been better. But the issue is there's not many ways Biden can defend himself, considering there's really no details on the exact time, the building, 
really there's not right. many details surrounding it, so you can't really expect him to provide evidence supporting his innocence. Yeah. And then the a second allegation um came up like a week later about like an inappropriate comment, but Biden had a solid alibi for that. And then she was like, Oh, it was actually in two thousand seven when Biden had an alibi for that too. So like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's damaging to the Biden campaign that Tara Reid refuses or can't remember uh what date the supposed event happened on but i mean that's the situation he's gonna have to deal with but um right now i'm gonna cast it i'm not gonna cast it aside but right now i think that it's appropriate to move on but i still want to find out the whole story i'm still curious because i think that's the only right response to have um yeah so i mean like that's really what's dominated the news headlines for the past month um but also for the past month, Biden has not been doing any campaign rallies. He's been sitting in his basement um, doing interviews. Uh, obviously, it's due to coronavirus. But, um, Jack, is this, a, is this a lasting strategy? Can this, can this work? Uh, the issue is it's hard to make gains like this, right? Because, you know, we see this pandemic. It is likely to go on for at least two months, per se, you know? More. And, yeah, yeah most likely more. There, it's not like we're just going to open up all of a sudden. There'll be incremental changes. Um, I, I, I don't think it's easy to make gains through just video uh, messages to his supporters. But I, I think Biden will find a way to try to reach out at the same, you know, he's a very hands-on campaigner. He really tries to appeal to the people at his events. So I think that'll hurt him. I feel like hands-on was the best description. Yeah. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> but Trump, you know, Trump is very famous for his large rallies at the same time, too. So I think it hurts both candidates equally. Yeah. And I mean, there's all this talk like, will we have a convention? Uh, Griffin, how does Biden cope with not getting coronavirus, but still campaigning? What's your take? I think one strategy that he could possibly employ now, I'm not exactly sure if this will work, but it actually worked in a Senate race back in 06 in Pennsylvania. So a bit of historical context. Basically, um, I'm pretty sure the two of you know Rick Santorum, right? Oh, I know Rick mm-hmm. Santorum. Yeah, so Rick Santorum in his last Senate race in 06, his Democratic opponent, Bob Casey, basically won easily because he kind of just left Santorum alone and left Santorum self-destruct. So I'm wondering, <laughs> maybe what if Joe Biden tries that with Trump? What if he tries to let Trump self-destruct? And just look like a reasonable candidate. I mean, Trump like, has self-destructed over the past four years. Every time he talks, you know, yeah, yeah it's like the Hillary you know, that's the only true. issue. Yeah, it's like I'll give you my time in the debate. Like I don't want to talk. Yeah, but um, I mean, another argument to that is like Biden can act like a wartime president. Like, was it Ronald Reagan who got the hostages back? You know, like when he wasn't president, like he could, he, you know, he could rise to the occasion. But of course, like limited capacity to do so because. He does not want to get coronavirus at his age. But um, it's, it's definitely a restrained situation. And there might be a point, I believe, in the next six months where Biden's going to have to go somewhere and do something. But it's going to have to be calculated. It's going to have to be limited. He's going to have to tactically weigh which places are best. Like, you could, he could go all in on Michigan, Wisconsin, you know, lock up the Rust Belt, presume Arizona and Colorado are safe, go a bit into Florida and lock up the senior vote, which could be very pertinent because a lot of seniors are very concerned with their own health right now. And those same seniors are worried that the Donald Trump Republican red reopening uh, mantra will endanger their health. So if he could go there and 
say to these seniors that, you know, they are a priority. He's not going to reopen too soon and make it unhealthily. You know, Biden can win that demographic, which is no small deal at all. But um, I mean, the campaign trail is going to look really different for Joe Biden. Do you think he do you think debates are going to happen, Jack? I, I think there's definitely a possibility that I don't think they're a very high risk thing. I mean, obviously, there won't be audiences, but we saw earlier in the year. Um, Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden debate during the Corona uh, virus pandemic. And that largely went well. And I, I thought it was in some ways better than a normal debate because you really got to hear more about them. If they're still not able to be in a room together, at the very least, there could probably be a debate through live video or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you know? let's, um, let's talk a bit about uh, Donald Trump's re-election strategy. Um, Griffin, if you're if you're a Brad Parscale and Kellyanne Conway, how do you, um, what would be your strategy for Trump? Um, now that's a very tricky question. So maybe what I could, what I'd probably try to say is, um, maybe try to compare like the U S to Europe in terms of coronavirus. Like maybe say, well, look at Europe. Europe combined as more total coronavirus cases. We're handling coronavirus better and also try to like sponsor reopenings. Now I know like to the ordinary podcast, uh, to the ordinary viewer of this podcast, it seems like a little malarkey, but I'm, I'm trying my best. Yeah. Um, I think it's Trump's in a corner definitely, but, um, you know, if we're comparing the U.S. to Europe, what they did in the French elections was when politicians couldn't be somewhere, they would send a hologram of them to the campaign rally. <laughs> so, I mean, if Joe Biden's really running out of options, then that's what we can do. Um, Jack, like Trump's in a mess, really. Like, it's not a good time to be running for re-election, especially when he's handled this pandemic kind of terribly. Like, I mean, we don't want to like give ideas to the Trump campaign, but if you're Donald Trump, what's your message? Well, I think it's not a bad strategy to talk about his response to COVID because to to us, it seems like a terrible response. But to his base and to some uh, Republicans, he may be trying to win over to some independents who don't necessarily view COVID as the problem it is. It could be a strength. I mean, he'll probably try to push for reopenings. And I actually saw an ad the other day by the Trump campaign that detailing his response to the coronavirus. And while it was completely fabricated and while it was taken out of context, it was a pretty good ad. And it even included, obviously out of context, Democratic governors praising the federal government's response. So, I mean, it was a pretty good ad. What do you think about the... I think he can use more of that. ...whole, like, Tom Cotton, Senator, like, blame China thing. Like, can Trump just say Joe Biden is China's best friend? Like, don't vote for him. Like, will that be effective? Well, Biden isn't China's best friend. But is, I think if Trump going to tell Trump the truth, tries to portray Biden as China's best friend, I mean, sure, that potentially could work. Obviously, there's blame to be had for China during this pandemic due to their lack of transparency. Um, but the issues at home are, are just as pronounced. So it could work for him. But again, I, I don't know how much of this is appealing to his base versus appealing to things uh, to people he needs to win over. Yeah. Apparently Brad Parscale, who's the campaign manager wants to paint Joe Biden as like some senile guy unfit for the presidency, but 
Like, that's also a strategy, but considering he's running against Trump, that's pretty hypocritical. <laughs> that's going to win you the seniors' vote, right? Like, <laughs> but um, that might not, that might not be the best idea. But um, I mean, let's zoom out a bit before we move on to the next topic. Griffin, who has the edge? Who's if you had to bet now, if the presidential election was today, who would win? I'd say Biden, although it would be pretty close. Yeah. I don't think he wins Florida or Arizona, personally. I think he just flips PA, Wisconsin, Michigan, and that's it. And maybe, Jack, like, you... that one congressional district in Nebraska and Omaha. Yeah. Jack, do you think Biden's, uh, Biden has the upper hand right now? I think Trump wins, Trump wins right, now. right now. Oh, man. I think that, I mean, I think that Biden could win, like, on absentee ballots, and Trump declares that invalid and it goes to the Supreme Court. Like, that's a very realistic possibility. And I'm, I've had sleepless nights about that. But, um, yeah, that, I don't know. I just feel like there's a very real chance that we wake up the next morning um, not knowing who won. But, yeah, it's going to be crazy. And we'll have much more coverage on the state of the 2020 race because six more months but let's uh, move on to um another very important part of the 2020 race uh who will be biden's vice president um right now apparently amy klobuchar who ran a pretty successful campaign is being vetted for that position so mm-hmm. she's the front runner um jack what do you think klobuchar adds to the ticket well you know as you know i i think amy klobuchar is a great person and she would be a great vice president she was my number one pick during the um uh, Democratic nomination process. I think, sh- like, out of all the candidates being mentioned right now, if God forbid something were to happen to Joe Biden, yeah. I would feel most comfortable with Amy Klobuchar stepping in as president. I think Amy Klobuchar is most ideologically close to Joe Biden, but electorally, uh, I'm kind of. She could add more in the Rust Belt states and with moderate voters, but. Biden kind of already has a good amount of support there. So I'm kind of waiting on some more polls and research to be done to determine just how much she can add in those states. Mm-hmm. Griffin, is Klobuchar the person or should it be someone else? I think Klobuchar is definitely up there. Um, I think Klobuchar is probably a safer pick than Gretchen Whitmer because Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan, is basically the target of um, like a whole bunch of right-wing assaults yeah. due to her um, lockdown orders in Michigan. Uh, I think also up there could be like Catherine Cortez Masto if like you want to win, like keep but, Nevada, win Arizona. Although win the Latino vote, too. yeah. Well, yeah, yes, but I feel Klobuchar is a decently safe pick. Although with Klobuchar, you're not necessarily inspiring as many progressive voters to vote for Biden instead of vote for Howie Hawkins or black voters too, for that matter. But, um, yeah, I mean, Klobuchar like has a bad history as like a prosecutor toward African-American. Mm-hmm. Like there's some bad stuff there that I don't know if Biden might want to stray away from, but I think she'd be a fine pick, um, with Whitmer. I wouldn't pick Whitmer. I think when you pick Whit- Whitmer, you're just yeah, incentivizing a lot of far right people to go out and vote for Trump because they hate Whitmer right now. But, um, if you don't mind, let me make an interesting case for someone who hasn't been mentioned at all as a name, but I think actually could be the, like, the best option, and I'm really curious to see how you guys react to this. But um, here's why Biden should pick Ayanna Presley as the VP. 
So, Presley is a black woman, which would satisfy many Amer- African-American special interest groups that want Biden to pick an African-American woman. And Presley is a progressive, too, which would satisfy that wing of the party. It would be killing two birds with one stone, honestly. But Presley isn't an insane progressive. She's not really, really left. She's the most moderate member of the squad, more moderate than AOC and Ilan Omar. She endorsed Elizabeth Warren and refused to endorse Bernie after Warren dropped out. And, like, I mean, Presley is a freshman representative, but she's much more experienced than Stacey Abrams and a lot of other people. And she, you know, she was an aide to Joe Kennedy. She was later the head political director for John Kerry. She then served 10 years in the Boston City Council and is now a U.S. representative who's on many important committees and caucuses. She's not, she's not like AOC, who was like a bartender, and this is her first job in politics. Presley's been in politics for a long time. And also, unlike the rest of the squad, Ilan Omar, she's good on Israel and wouldn't, you know, lose the Jewish vote. She's charismatic, a great speaker. She's good in the areas where Biden isn't. She would supplement him very well. I think her name should be in the conversation. Henry, so this is the most important question. Yeah, that's the question. Honestly, would you honestly feel comfortable if she was the president of the United States? Because I wouldn't really. Why wouldn't you feel comfortable with Ayanna Presley? Because, first of all, she's not very experienced. She's a, I mean, obviously you told how she was in politics, but at the same time, she's still a freshman representative. And you pointed to Stacey Abrams, and I agree she's completely inexperienced, but I don't think Stacey Abrams should even be near the conversation. And secondly, if that could potentially dissuade moderate voters due to the, the ideological differences between Biden and Presley are, are pretty pronounced. And if I'm a moderate voter and I'm voting for Joe Biden, I, I certainly don't want to see Presley as president. But I, mean, what... I think if you're, yeah. trying, if you're trying to get the progressive vote, which I understand, Who do you pick? why not go with Elizabeth Warren? She's way more of a coalition builder. I think I'd be way more comfortable with her as president. She's experienced. I, I think Elizabeth Warren is a good vice presidential pick. I don't see why you have to go for someone as radical as Presley. And well, Presley's, Presley's less. Presley's the same amount of radical as Warren is, which isn't that radical. Hmm. But, um, but, like, I mean, we saw, we also saw what Joe Biden said this morning, and it's clear that he maybe needs some help in African-American groups, right? And I don't know any kind of moderate who would, be dissuaded at voting for Joe Biden. I think that any kind of moderate would vote for whoever the nominee is, whether it be AOC or independents or Republicans. Yeah, but like the VP, think the about VP that. pick isn't what pushes the VP pick this edge. year is pro- is potentially the most important VP pick in a while. I mean, both candidates are obviously older in their years, so I think I think VP is going to be a more important issue than it has been in the past. To be completely, and I agree honest. with you that. Biden's potentially picking the first woman president with his, um, you know, pick. But I mean, her name should be in the conversation more than Stacey Abrams and Gretchen Whitmer. Like, sure, but their name shouldn't be in the conversation yeah. either. <laughs> I mean, Griffin, if you want to appeal to progressive voters, how are you going to do it? I would probably, well, first, you might have to adopt some somewhat more progressive policies that I'm not saying that Joe Biden has to become the next Bernie Sanders, but I feel that given the DNC, um, it's like what the DNC is doing is they're forming like these unity commissions where they're putting uh, supporters of Biden and supporters of Sanders on certain issues. They're grouping them together so that they can, construct a platform for biden so i think he does need to move a little bit to the left in order to uh get the support of more progressive voters but 
he does not have to become Bernie Sanders. Um, in terms of a running mate, now, Ayanna Presley is a risky scheme. I think Warren is, um, as Jack mentioned, I feel that Warren is probably a more competent running mate. And if you look at progressive women that are very experienced, have served multiple years in like the U.S. House, the U.S. Senate, um, or as a governor that are genuinely progressive and inspiring. They are few and far between. That's the issue. So Warren is a safe bet. Kamala's not progressive enough now. Um, Yeah, no. No, she's not really. Susan Rice? Uh, No, I don't think he can do that. Cabinet position, but I don't think she can be. She'll probably be the Secretary of State. Her, John Kerry. But, like, yeah. Um, No, it's going to be interesting to see who's in Biden's cabinet. Like, I've heard stuff about Andrew Yang maybe being in the cabinet. Uh, Maybe Warren being Secretary of the Treasury. Like, it's going to be an interesting cabinet, definitely. I'm sure Pete Buttigieg will get something, too, because since he's unemployed. But, um, yeah, let's um, move on to third topic, and this is a big one. Um, The Senate is back in play. Uh, After some recent developments, some, you know, primaries, uh, the U.S. Senate uh, looks to be maybe attainable for Democrats to flip it blue for the first time since Obama's first term. Um, If Joe Biden wins and Democrats keep all their Senate seats, they only need three seats to flip. If Trump wins, they need four. And if Democrats lose Alabama, which they will, we need five. So, um, Jack, where can we get those five seats? What states are you looking at? So I'm looking at, you know, uh, Montana. I'm looking at um, Maine. I'm looking at North Carolina, obviously. I'm looking at uh, Arizona. And I, I am banking on the chance. So that those are the four states that we probably feel more most comfortable. Oh, Colorado. Colorado, but Colorado yeah. is Colorado is given. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then I feel like we, if if Doug Jones loses, I think we need something more of an outside chance. And I think the states we could look at there is is Montana, right? Because the uh, most recent poll has Bullock leading by seven against Danes. Uh, and there's this COVID pandemic. Uh, 70% of people approved of Bullock's handling, while only 48% approved of Danes. So that might be on the front of voters' minds when they're going to the polls. Um, and in the first couple of weeks on the trail, Bullock has outraised his opponent. Kentucky, like I said, is an outside chance. And it obviously, I think McGrath is the best candidate to take on uh, McConnell. But first, she would obviously need to win the primary. Uh, most of the polls have her in a dead heat with McConnell. Uh, and as far as the money they have on hand, it's one of the most funded races this whole election. Because obviously... McConnell has the whole Republican establishment behind him, but he's such a hated person that yeah. Democrats from around the country are chipping in money. So it's basically both of them have around 14 million in the bank right now. So I think it's it's not nearly as much of an outside chance as I thought in the beginning, but I would still tip it to McConnell. But I think it's a possibility. The polls are always going to go liberal because Republicans just don't participate in much polls. Republicans, by rule, participate in less politics than Democrats do. Like. Even in 2016, we saw Trump supporters even lie to pollsters. Like, that was one of the reasons why Hillary amassed that kind of lead. So, I mean, like, do I think that Bullock's going to win by seven points in Montana? Probably not. But, you know, I, I wouldn't take that lightly either. I think he's definitely, you know, in contention to be in the lead. Um, Montana's a good spot, but I 
still probably lean R, lean Republican on that, but it's definitely a possibility. Let's see if let's see if it becomes a toss up election soon. Griffin, what elections are you looking at for flipping the Senate? Well, firstly, if you look at Colorado, um, I think Colorado is a given to go to the Democrats because Republicans got demolished in statewide and local and congressional elections in Colorado in 2018. They got demolished for the governorship. They lost all other statewide offices. Um, They lost a U.S. House seat. And given the demographic changes in Colorado, um, which make the state more favorable for Democrats, I think whoever the Democratic nominee is, whether it's um, Andrew Romanoff, who is um, a a long shot, or John... Hickenlooper, who is the establishment favorite, and at the moment, the front runner for the primary. Um, I think both of them can defeat Cory Gardner, but it would be very interesting to just see how that primary plays out, because it's a David and Goliath matchup, essentially. Now, going a little to the southwest, you have Arizona. Now, Arizona is... um, You have... Um, Mark Kelly, who is the astronaut, he's the husband of Gabby Giffords, and he is running against Martha McSally, who did not win that Senate seat. She was actually appointed to it by the governor of Arizona. So you have an unelected senator going up against a Democrat with high name recognition who is Um, very well-known throughout Arizona, very popular, moderate candidate. And from the looks of it, uh, Kelly is gaining the advantage in this Senate race. And also, going a little further east, you have two long-shot races, but they're worth consideration. First, if you look at Texas. Now, Texas, um, John Cornyn, I don't think is as easy to... uh, as Ted Cruz because Ted Cruz was a very polarizing figure and a lot of Democrats hated him, which is why Beta did, uh, Beto O'Rourke did so well back in 2018. Now, from the looks of it, MJ Hager will be the nominee for the Democrats and she's a good candidate, although I'm not exactly certain that she'll be able to bring in as much dough as Beto did. And also, John Cornyn is a lot less polarizing. However, one thing about John Cornyn is, although he's less polarizing than Ted Cruz, he's less inspiring, too. So, if Democrats uh, spend a lot of money in Texas, because Texas is a huge state, because if you look at Texas, like the demographics and um, the population density of regions of Texas... You'll find that most people don't live in towns from like uh, Friday Night Lights. A lot of Texans live, um, yeah, a lot of people from Texas live in metro areas, Houston, Dallas, Fort Worth, Austin, San Antonio, El Paso. So Texas is definitely one they could flip, uh, given a lot of money and grassroots work. Now, if you go up a little further north, you're in Kansas, um, home of I was just about to say that. Dorothy. But also, yeah. I would say. Yeah. So the Democratic candidate is, yeah, Barbara, Barbara Bollier, who is the doctor, a state senator, who is a Republican turned Democrat. 
And with Kansas, the two Republican candidates that are leading the pack are Chris Kobach, who is a very polarizing figure. Even in the Republican Party. The yeah. GOP nominee for governor in 2018. Yeah, even in the Republican Party. And he lost a statewide race in Kansas to a Democrat. However, he is um, very well liked by the Trumpian wing of the party. And then there's the more establishment candidate who is the congressman. I'm starting to forget his name. He, he's the congressman from that western that uh, district of Kansas. Uh, oh, uh, Roger Marshall. Now I remembered. So Roger Marshall, who's the more establishment candidate versus Chris Kobach, who is the more conservative candidate. There, there are other Republican candidates, too, but they're leading the pack. They're what I call like the Shen and the Saratoga <laughs> of this field. But, but yeah, basically, if Kobach is the Republican nominee, which he very well could be, he doesn't stand as good a chance against Barbara Bollier because if he lost to a Democrat for governor, then he could lose for Senate. And given that Kansas is going uh, undergoing some demographic changes, in particular in the suburbs and in uh, Kansas City, Kansas, that are making the state more favorable to Democrats. Um, also, the growth of generally liberal cities and college towns like Manhattan, Kansas, and uh, Topeka, Lawrence. Uh, Kansas is not as red as it was a decade ago, and I think if Kobach is the Republican nominee and Democrats really work it, then they could actually flip Kansas, a state which has not elected a Democratic senator since, get this, That's like when the Wizard of Oz takes place. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Before, before that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we're not in Kansas anymore. We're in North Carolina where um, Cal Cunningham is uh, running. Yeah, thanks. Cal Cunningham is running Smooth. against Tom Tillis. He's one of the more powerful Republican senators in the U.S. Senate, and he's an establishment name, honestly. But Cal Cunningham, who I'm choosing to dub the Beto O'Rourke of 2020, is very likable, veteran, you know, family man. He's, you know, winning in polling. Uh, latest poll came out. It's not that recent. It's like May 4th, but it still is cutting it up by a point, so it's really close. I, I, it's the definition of a toss-up race right now. But overall, um, there is some animosity in... Uh, North Carolina growing toward Tom Tillis. Uh, he's not really regarded as a man of the people. He's um, economically, a lot of people disagree with his agenda. And Cal Cunningham is incredibly likable. And um, I really do see a good chance of that state flipping. But I feel like that's gonna cu- that seat's going to come down to whether the Democrats are going to take the majority or not. But North Carolina is a state that's trending more and more blue. Um, I think that, you know, Biden's chances in North Carolina are pretty good. And if he can get the down ballot Cal Cunningham um, to get more votes through that. Uh, I think that he has a decent chance of flipping there in North Carolina. And nor- flipping in North Carolina would probably be the fifth seat that Democrats flip. So it could be the one that gives them the Senate back. So I feel like more fundraising should be put into that race. Uh, a lo- there's a lot of focus on Mark Kelly, which I'm pretty sure he's going to win. So I would urge the Democratic Senatorial Committee to pour more into that one. But I mean, I think we're going to be talking about this race a lot more. In, um, in Georgia, Georgia, there are two Senate races. Um, both the seats are open for re-election. Um, on a good day, Democrats can win both. 
Um, so one seat is the Georgia special election. And this is the seat of Kelly Loeffler. Kelly Loeffler has been a senator for about a year now. She has been implicated in insider trading after um, she, she dumped a ton of stocks after attending coronavirus senatorial meetings. And it's taken a huge hit on her reputation. Um, a lot of people hate her. And she's facing a challenge from her own party in that race from Doug Collins, who Trump wanted to be appointed to that Senate seat in the first place. And Doug Collins is the most Trumpian um, you know, representative in Congress, honestly. So he's leading and polling over Kelly Loeffler. But it still could go Loeffler's way because she's the incumbent. But um, there's a big Democratic push to get a strong candidate in that race. And uh, Stacey Abrams declined to run because she wants to be the VP. But um, she probably should have run. But uh, there's a really good candidate, uh, Raphael Warnock, who's a pastor and reverend at a church. And um, he's strong. He's, you know, he's a really good candidate. And he's been endorsed by the Democratic Senatorial Committee, Brian Schatz, Kirsten Gillibrand. All the, all the, all the major senators have really thrown their support uh, to Warnock, who's beating in his primary um, the son of Joe Lieberman, Matt Lieberman. So in Georgia, how it works is all the candidates just get thrown into one election and the top two advance to a runoff. So the best hope is that um, Loeffler and Duck Collins split the Republican vote and Warnock gets the whole Democratic vote and uh, takes the majority. But in a runoff election, it'll probably be Warnock versus Collins or Warnock, Warnock versus Loeffler or even Loeffler versus Collins. So it's a crazy race, honestly. And the other Senate race in Georgia, it's less crazy. David Perdue is a, an establishment Georgia senator, and he's running against uh, John Ossoff, who is an investigative detective. So um, last poll had Ossoff, off, had Ossoff, the Democrat, up by two points. But I'm, I'm pretty confident that Perdue is going to hold that seat, even with that polling. But let's see how that happens, because like on a really good night where the Democrats get a whole lot of voter turnout in places like Atlanta, which is trending more and more Democrat every day, they could flip both those seats. So, you know, if Democrats can flip in, in Georgia, that takes a lot of pressure off them to flip in North Carolina or to flip in Montana. So it's it could be an important state if Democrats wanted to put more money into it. Um, yeah, those are all the states. Um, I feel like we haven't mentioned Alabama, where Doug Jones is facing a tough race uh yeah um jack were you Probably on that gonna race? lose it was like this one. yeah so uh i don't i don't believe so. um yeah i suppose i was on it oh yes yeah, so alabama so doug jones never needed to worry about a challenge in his own party as it would not really serve any purpose now the republican field started out very wide there were multiple candidates including roy moore who the extremist who ran in 2017 and lost. Now, Roy Moore did very poorly in the GOP Senate primary, um, which was held the same day as Super Tuesday. Uh, the two who made it to the runoff were Jeff Sessions, who is um, the former holder of that Senate seat, and Tommy Tuberville, who is a football coach at the University of Alabama. Um, they also beat out a congressman from the Mobile area, uh, Bradley Byrne. But the two, between Sessions and Tuberville, I feel like Tuberville in the runoff is the favorite. Uh, polls have shown him leading Sessions in the runoff, mainly because Tuberville 
is not only a football coach. Now, folks down in Alabama especially, they love football. Uh, not only that, but Tuberville can also paint himself as an outsider candidate. He can say, look at Jeff Sessions. Jeff Sessions has been in Washington, D.C. for a quarter of a century, and I haven't served a day in politics. I am not influenced by the Washington culture. And I think that message is really resonating with Republican voters, and it will resonate with the Alabama general electorate. And I just don't really see Doug Jones being able to conceivably pull out a victory given that Trump is also on the ballot in Alabama. It's very, very difficult. I think that... Unfortunately for Democrats, they're going to have to Jack, if you're the Democratic senatorial committee, are you going to like donate money to Doug Jones through their funds, or are you going to just abandon him? It's a tough call. I, I don't... It is a tough call. And I don't... I think, obviously, the situation will change as we get closer to Election Day and we see more uh, polls and information. I think right now you continue funding him, but you put more effort into the other races. I, I, I don't see yeah. too much of a chance of him winning. Uh, the one thing uh, Griffin didn't mention is that I think Tuberville might be uh, more likely to be the Republican nominee just because of also how much yeah. Trump seems to hate Jeff Sessions now. True. So pretty crazy turnaround but yeah and the only I, reason I doug, jones doug jones won in the first case was because his opponent was probably literally the worst candidate right. of all time if that's like a thing i can say but yeah pretty close. Um, so i mean doug jones is the incumbent so i'm not gonna like it's not solid r but it's lean r likely r but um yeah so it's probably five yeah. seats that the democrats have to flip um prediction time jack are they gonna get that five Griffin? I think we do. Yeah. Ooh, that's a tough question. I think you come close, but I'm thinking 50 50 and the vice president, whoever that may be. And vice vice president. Yeah, actually, that's probably more likely. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Still time. I I honestly believe that Donald Trump is going to replace Mike Pence with Nikki Haley. They. Okay. Nah. What if you Dem- can't do I it now? Do it's it way too close. As a Democratic convention, like to undermine them, because the Trump team knows that their ticket looks completely out of reach. Their ticket looks like their ticket looks out of con- out of touch with you know suburb- su- suburban moms, like you know people who live in swing states, who live in you know who aren't rural Americans, who that ticket is already winning. And Nikki Haley having a woman on that ticket helped that so much for them, and. Yeah, and Nick, she's just a very charismatic leader in the Republican Party too, and, and probably going to be, uh, barring the Trump family future line, presidential. Uh, a future vice <laughs> presidential. Nikki uh, Haley's strategy was like, yeah. she really wants it, and she like tweeted out like, "I want to say that I am not going to be taking Mike Pence's yeah. spot on the ticket. I want to smell the rumors of that." Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. But yeah. Now, I mean, I know we've been talking about the potential that Democrats uh, may flip the Senate, but I know, Henry, you're focused on uh, 
interesting primary oh, yeah. race um, in uh, Massachusetts. So yeah, Ed Markey right? has been a Senate seat for a while in Massachusetts. Um, he's one of the more progressive champions of the Senate. He wrote the Green New Deal. He's big on net neutrality. But he's facing a really tough primary against Joe Kennedy III, who is related somewhat distantly to John F. Kennedy. Um, he, uh, he's, Joe, Joe Kennedy's impressive. He's been viewed as a young leader of the party, probably just because of his name. But, um, I, and he's really just running on his name. But that might take him to victory over Ed Markey in the primary. And barring any strong Republican candidate, because we've had Republicans win Massachusetts before. But Massachusetts is still a blue state. And I expect Joe Kennedy to win the primary and win this, but it's going to be a fascinating primary. And I think it happens in September. It's going to be really interesting to watch. Another thought is that if Warren gets VP'd or she gets like secretary of the treasury, um, I could see the loser of that being appointed to the, not being appointed, not being appointed to the seat because it's a Republican Charlie Baker, who's the governor, but I could see them winning that Mm -hmm. special election after Charlie Baker appoints the Republican to the seat. So that, that would be interesting to see. Um, I wouldn't be too worried. I don't think it's going to flip red. It did in 10 years ago, but that's because the Democratic candidate thought it was all wrapped up and she would win, which she did not. Yeah, and there is a good Republican candidate. Like, Scott Brown is a good Republican candidate. Like, I, I just had to say that. But... Also, the Democratic very um, bad. opponent. Yeah, is re- Charlie very Baker, bad. who's the Republican governor in Massachusetts, is like, it's like my favorite Republican in the country. It's like pro-choice, pro-environmentalism. Like, he's a good Republican, but you kind of have to be. He's yeah, like but like Eisenhower. in Massachusetts, you kind of have to he's be like that Eisenhower as a Republican. Yep, Charlie Baker is the Republicans' best chance of winning a Senate seat in Massachusetts in the near future. But he does. It's a chance. He's popular he, among he Democrats and Republicans and Independents. But I don't really think he wants... Um, I don't think Massachusetts governors have term limits, actually. So. But I don't think Charlie Baker is going to give... Like, Charlie Baker is not going to give up the governorship because Massachusetts folks love him so much that there they are just some, don't want him to leave. I think there are like, some Republicans they keep who actually Charlie do want... Governor. Far-right Republicans who do want a uh, you know, primary challenger, but... Hmm. Yeah, but they're hopefully, they are few and far hopefully between. all goes well in yeah, Massachusetts. The Bay State. It's an interesting, it's an interesting setup though. But overall, uh, the Senate is very much up for play. Um, do we want to cover the last item on the agenda: coronavirus and the Heroes Act? Yeah. Oh, main oh, Sarah Gideon. Um, go over main, quick main... Probably Sarah Gideon. Oh yeah, yeah. I guess like I neck and neck. Michigan. Michigan Democrats might have to like invest a bit to defend Michigan. Um, I don't really think Democrats can win in Iowa. They kind of squandered their chances. And New Hampshire, yeah. they shouldn't really have to uh, worry so about. Here, so the Senate yeah. um, That's a wrap. has been working on the HEROES Act. Uh, there's some crucial votes in it. Uh, Jack, do you want to take us through what this is? Well, yeah. So the, the House has been, uh, they just passed the HEROES Act uh, oh, sorry, a couple the House, days yeah. ago, I okay. believe last week. Yeah. Uh, and it was not, yeah, it was not a particularly uh, positively received. I mean, the vote was, there was only one Republican that voted for it. And I believe like something like 14 Democrats voted against it. So it was a very close vote. And that was because, you know, some people on the left side of the party, the progressives, wanted more safety net money for 
you know, people in danger. And then the moderates thought it might be too much money with three trillion. And Pelosi didn't really make a huge attempt to cooperate with Republicans. Yeah. So there's obviously no chance the Senate takes this up. Uh, so I'm not a huge fan of the effort. I mean, I think fundamentally it was it had some good elements, but ultimately to it was show really that, just a to show the public stunt. that like the house is working on stuff. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, like I do think that there needs to be more coronavirus relief. I think any American citizen can tell you that. But I feel like this was I agree with you that this was like a half-hearted attempt at like making it appear as though they're doing stuff when we do need to think of alternative um, options. Mm-hmm. I think that Nancy Pelosi herself was even talking about how we need to consider a universal basic income for this time, which I was surprised to hear her come out for. But um, it's something that's working very well in Canada. And I think in Finland, they you know released a statement saying that this is only positive for the economy. So I'm really open to that, but I doubt you're going to get 10 Republicans on your side for that. But um, yeah, I do think there needs to be more, though. Uh, mm-hmm. Reopening-wise, uh, some states like Georgia and other red states are beginning to open things. Even in New York, we had phase one, which included, you know, some non-essential businesses, uh, not orthodontists, but, um, you know, some, yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, only Griffin, what do you think about uh, the Republican push to reopen? Is it too soon? Well, I feel like some states, <laughs> I mean, if you look at the state of Alaska, which has My barely any coronavirus cases, that. then yes, it would be appropriate. Um, if you live in Texas, Texas, it's probably somewhat premature because Texas has had, um, a growing number of coronavirus cases more so like, um, a higher rate of coronavirus growth than in New York, where here in New York, we've basically flattened off and most of the New York coronavirus cases are in the city and like the metropolitan area anyways, but. Texas, I think Texas, they're definitely um, reopening prematurely. I feel Georgia is probably the same. Although Georgia... (laughs) Did you see what the Las Vegas mayor said? Texas. She was like, oh, we can be used as a control group to see, like, what happens to human life after we open really quick. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Don't bet on lives. Yeah. But, Mm. um, I mean, in New York, I think Cuomo's doing a fine job. I think, like, in Michigan, where Gretchen Whitmer, Gretchen Whitmer hasn't done anything really, and I, there's even some, there's a bit of you know wanting even on the left for a bit to go open, but this has to be done very concertedly. It has to be done very carefully, and I think for the most part, most governments are doing a good job of that. Uh, fun fact: every state or territory that voted for Mike Bloomberg has not had a coronavirus case so far. So American Samoa, yeah, no no cases. <laughs> but um, yay, American uh, Samoa. So overall, yeah, what were you were gonna say, yeah. Well, just talking about New York, I'm I'm a fan of the governor's approach. Obviously, he was criticized a tiny bit for not closing down as soon as some would have liked. But as always, hindsight is twenty twenty. After the lockdown occurred, I think he's been really good and i think this he's employed a very data-driven approach to the reopening and there's specific benchmarks each region has to hit for you know the four phase plan so i i'm a fan of that and hopefully uh once everything is you know goes yep, down a little like bit we'll start seeing a implemented national testing strategy because that 
you know, has not happened much to the avail of Democrats in the Senate. Mm-hmm. But because really there's no there's no testing strategy whatsoever. In other countries, they test a certain amount of people every day. They, you know, know the numbers and the stats where, where it's really all over the place here in the USA. They're testing. Um, I believe they're testing the president now and, um, you know, all his associates after there was some cases in the White House. Stephen Miller's wife got it, I think. But um, yeah. Did you see what Donald Trump said about his coronavirus test? He was like, I tested very positively. Like, negatively, positively. Like, it was very positive tests, which is negative. <laughs> but, um, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, overall, uh, I think that I'm glad I'm in New York and we're on the right track. But there are some places that need to be cleaned up in this pandemic. But, uh, yeah, that's about it. Um, yes. Oh, I just have a question for the two of you. Uh, do you think that schools in our area will reopen in the fall? No. Um, well, not in September. Yeah. Like I think September, like I the think Thursday October after Labor Day, when they with open. restrictions. I think it'll be um, in some ways like masks or A days and B days yeah. for kids. I think like you go on every other day, but that's not, I don't know how, you know, how that can, how long that can last. But overall, I mean, there's also the possibility of a second wave during flu season. So, I could see, like, worst case scenario is next school year, we, like, are out from November to April. Like, I I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility either. So I don't think it's going to be uh, September to June, you know, regular year next year. But uh, it's going to be interesting. So, um, yeah, I think that's all we've got for today. A lot of good discussion on presidential and vice presidential and senatorial campaigns. But um, we'll be back with another episode. But we should probably try to do another one before the end of the month, you know, get back into the weekly routine of that. But um, people should rate and. Oh, my goodness. Well, believe it or not, yeah. Memorial Day is this Monday. Oh. I think our towns, like, might do a parade, but it might be closed, closed cars, closed cars. Like, you know, no, like, actual Oh, my March. gosh. But, yeah. But um, yeah, oh, it's okay, going to be interesting. Okay. It's, like, already June. Like, oh, my goodness. It's, well, it's not June yet, but, yeah. Yeah, and school is basically ending in, like, 14 time. days, something yeah. like that. No instruction but past June 10th. And we're making the yeah. most out of it with our podcasts. So um, if anyone has any um, questions, feel free to send them to us. We'll have listener questions next time. I forgot to send that out this time. But um, So please rate and review our podcast on iTunes, and please stay healthy. You know, wash your hands, maintain social distancing. Uh Wear a mask. Yep. Uh, Wear a yeah. mask. So everybody have a great day and we hope to be back 